You're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hey, happy September. Okay, do you all know what that means? It means get your Halloween stuff out right now. That's what that means. I saw today on um, on a morning show that it is the meteor- meteorology first day of fall. So I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm all for it because fall is my thing. I love fall. The great thing about fall decorations is what I used to do when I lived in the Pacific Northwest, because there were actual seasons kind of there versus now I live in Arizona and there is two seasons, hot and and, uh, really nice. So that's it. But what I would do in, in Oregon is I would put out the hay bales, the scarecrows, the autumn leaves and the pumpkins. And then all you had to do when October came is take out the scarecrows and put in the witches. And then, um, and then in November, all you had to do is just put out the turkeys, take out the witch and put in a turkey and put the scarecrow back in. And so it's like, it's worth decorating because you get three full months out of it versus Christmas, which is you've got basically maybe 23 days. And that's not worth it to me to drag out all those Christmas decorations. But regardless, anyway, it is September 1st. It is September, people. I am telling you, where has this year gone? It is insane. But welcome to She Became Visible. And um, I'm having a little microphone problems today, so I hope there's not too much of an echo. Um, I'm, I'm actually using my computer microphone, which really makes me feel as though there's going to be a huge echo. So um, I hope that isn't true, especially for my guests today. I am really excited. I am, um, I'm just excited and honored to have Amanda on my show today, Amanda Real. And I met Amanda officially uh, back in February when my husband and I went down to a Thrive conference in St. George, Utah. And uh, Amanda and her husband, Bill, were speaking at the Thrive Conference. And then we had an opportunity to go out to lunch and get to know Amanda a little bit better. And I just felt a connection with Amanda because her and I, I mean, we both have, I mean, we don't have the stories of going out to BYU, meeting our husbands at BYU, um, getting married, and then you know, supporting them through their college education and moving to the new job place that followed after their husband graduated. We don't have that story. 
both of us have the story of meeting our husbands, uh, getting married, and our husbands went to work. And we started a family. And that's and I and I love that about us. Both of our neither one of our husbands, um, you know, have some fancy doctorate degree, but they're hugely intelligent and hardworking and experts in their field. And I I also love that. And I also love that uh, I feel like Amanda and I both have been where we fulfill the, and I'll ask her about this. I, I don't want to be speaking for her, but I'll ask her. We kind of fulfilled our role that was given to us as a support system for our husbands. And then eventually we learned how to become partners with our spouses. And then I think, you know, I, I know in my case, our whole complete family dynamics changed once my husband and I learned how to be partners and not just fulfill a role that was given to us. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about. So I just love, I love the fact that She Became Visible is a female, female voices podcast that we talk about the um, other side of the story. And so I'm really excited to bring Amanda on. So no more, um, no more uh, silly chit chat from me. Let's bring Amanda on right now. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? I am doing really well. I am so excited to have you here. And I love, I love seeing you in that seat. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, you've <laughs> taken over the throne. I love I it. I love it. Yeah. So we're just going to start out. And I, you know, one of the things that um, really hit me was, and one of the reasons why I love having this She Became Visible podcast is, I remember hearing Sandra Tanner on another podcast and, and Sandra normally when she goes on a, um, uh, a podcast talks about her relationship with her husband and what they did together as a team to bring out um, historical facts and things about the Book of Mormon and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So Sandra normally talks about the religious side of her deconstruction and moving on to a more, a different kind of um, Christianity. But I don't think I've ever heard Sandra talk about Sandra. Mm. And one time I listened to her on a podcast and she just for a brief moment mentioned how hard it was on her children to deconstruct and leave the church. And, and all of a sudden I saw Oh, let me hear about the um, Sandra part of this. It was always Gerald, what she and Gerald did. And so with you, it's the same thing. It's like there's a story behind this uh, trajectory that even Bill, your husband, took. And um, I think we should refer to Bill on this podcast as the husband of Amanda Real. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I want you to tell me about you. I want you to start out by talking about your childhood and how you grew up. Did you grow up um, Mormon? And how did that family dynamic work? Where you fall in the family as far as siblings go? So just kind of start from the beginning and tell us the story of how little baby Amanda came into the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, born of goodly parents, another fold, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my dad was a convert and my mom's parents were converts. Mm -hmm. So I don't have pioneer stock. We don't go like way back or anything. Okay. So that was lucky for us. Yeah. Um, but yes, I was born in the covenant and there's eight of us, five girls, three boys, and I am number six. Um, so yes, I had this Mormon upbringing. Um, we did family home evening and scripture study sometimes. But yes, if we were on vacation, we went to church. We went to church every Sunday. Um, so a lot of decisions were definitely made from uh, that Mormon background. Um, I would say pretty normal childhood <laughs> with all those siblings. Nobody had time to be bored, right? So always had a friend, always had a playmate, um, went through school and everything. Um, normal, great life. Um, I'm a band geek. I played saxophone. Um, and in football season, I trolled the flag. That was a ton of fun. And I met Bill at work at McDonald's when we were seniors in school. We went to different schools. And um, yeah, what other questions do you have for me? Oh, my gosh. Oh, you know what? I love that because one of the things that um, just recently I, I heard Dan McClellan on another podcast, and he mentioned that he was a convert and he was older in 1819 when he joined the church. And so when you talk about your parents being converts, I, I feel like I can, um, I can relate because my parents were also converts and I was 12 when you, you know, and so I have a background that's different from, like you said, pair, you know, pioneer heritage, five generations back, uh, died in the wool. You know, I really think that makes a difference in, in, in how you start be playing the role as Mormons. Mm -hmm. and so when you talked about like having family home evenings sometimes and, you know, going to church, but maybe not on vacation all the time. And it just makes sense to people that weren't, that aren't five generation Mormons, because we kind of are being introduced into this culture. It's not just a religion, it's a culture. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it was the same thing for me. I remember my mom and dad trying to have family home evening for the first time and everybody was in tears and angry and go to your room and, you know, the whole <laughs> bit, because we didn't know how this worked. And, you know, we thought it, it was just a, a complaint session. Like we were going to sit down. And, well, my brother, he won't leave me alone. And he's not <laughs> very nice to me. And mom's like, no, I don't know how this works. You know? So, <laughs> I, I feel like you and I, I mean, besides the fact that you come from a large family, so your parents were, were converts, but then were they already members when they married? So my mom's parents were converts. Oh, oh So oh. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when my mom, my dad met my mom and that's the thing she did, like he was about it. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she kind of converted him a little bit. Yeah, you know, but I feel like more it might be more of like mine and my husband's story because I didn't convert Bill. Like yeah. Bill was a way better Mormon than I ever thought I was ever going to be. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, all right. So you were born under the covenant then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there wasn't even like I remember the story. Um, I forget who it was I was listening to, and their parents joined the church with two kids, and then once they joined the church, they had four more kids. Because, you know, that's part of the thing, right? Right. There's a difference between this group of kids and these groups of kids. But you you were, and my mom was done by the time they joined the church. So there's only three of us. So there were, you know, no hope for that. But 
anyway, so I love that. Did you, um, did you enjoy like primary and young women's? I mean, were those parts of your life? Yeah, and I really did. Um, I'm a very social person. So church was definitely a social outlet for me. Right. Um, and um, I didn't even walk at church until I was well over two or so because I would just tug on a, a suit coat or a dress. Whoever would pick me up, that's who I would go to. I didn't care. I just wanted somebody to hold me. So yeah. I just remembered I would just tug until someone picked me up, you know, and so it started there. And then after that, you know, I was always popular with friends, of course, you know, and I was just a social butterfly, just da, 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 just all over doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it worked for me and I loved it and it brought me people to be around. And so it worked for me in that aspect for sure. That's so great. Do you think that your place in the family had a lot to do with that? Because like you said, the greatest, I mean, I think one of the great things that the church does do is it does encourage large families and, and I don't think you have to have 10 kids to be considered a large family, but um, I know, like you said, my kids always had built-in people to go on vacation with. We didn't have to bring friends along, built-in mm -hmm. playmates, and, and um, we didn't have to have a play date scheduled because they all had siblings. And mm -hmm. there's so many wonderful, you know, advantages to that. So did that help with your, I mean, are, is your whole family really social and extroverts or were you just like, you know, because you were kind of the baby where you're like, yes, I am here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I definitely think it has to do with being one of the babies. Um, yeah. I'm a Pisces. We're just kind of like that. Um, uh, yeah. So we're all over the, I'm sorry. I, was, I think the moon is in Pisces right now in the whole Thing, so oh is it yeah that might be why I'm so crazy I don't know but um <laughs> no um but yeah um and my mom had a big family not because of church um my mom actually doesn't like people except for her offspring and so I think she just made her little tribe that she wanted and and that was great for her and um so yeah mom always just wanted a, they wanted 12 but she did have two miscarriages and the last two were cesarean and, you know, just nature took its course and that was it, you know? Yeah. You know, the more, the more that you read historical, not just LDS history, but any kind of pioneer history. Uh, yes. People had large families, but they had 10 or 12 children. And out of those 10 or 12, six died or yeah. seven died. And so you know, the idea that nowadays with modern medicine to have a large family, they're probably going to stick around and you're going to have 10 or 12 kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that's a completely different outcome. But so that's so you're you're just tripping along your senior year in high school. You get a job. And at this job, you happen to meet this Bill Real guy. And yep. <laughs> and I love, you know, I love Bill's story about how where his family dynamics were and how he really loved your family. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, he really thought this is, uh, I, I I'm really feeling comfortable and I want this. And that's what drove him to the church. So it wasn't even Amanda, you know, flirting to converting. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. So did he like, um, start asking you questions about the church or why is your family so amazing or why do you do the things you do or what made him relate your family to tell me about this reason why you guys are so great. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, 
So after dating for just a little bit, it didn't take us long. We moved very fast, but uh, you know, he, he saw that I went to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights, you know, so he saw me doing this. So he wasn't quite ready, like for Sunday, but he'd come on Wednesdays. So he'd come to mutual with me and he would only come to young women's actually. Ah. So, I mean, we had oatmeal facials, you know, we're doing all the things. And then after probably the third time, they're like, um, we really like you coming, but if you're going to continue to come, you have to go to young men's. <laughs> So they kicked him out of young women's. <laughs> what I wouldn't do for an oatmeal facial selfie. <laughs> I know, right? It was amazing. You know, and Bill is always so amazing like that. Um, you know, like we did ballroom dancing and things like that. So he's a fun guy. He really is. He really is a great guy. Um, you know, but yeah, they kicked him out to young men's. And so he did the young men thing. And, you know, the guys were cool to him and he liked him and he got along with the boys. And so he's like, okay. I can do this Sunday thing. And then, you know, like the Godhead, you know, he'll tell you the, the lesson on the Godhead kind of spoke to him. Like it kind of made sense that God wasn't three people. And um, so that kind of took off for him from there. And everybody lo knows that Bill loves knowledge and he loves history and he just eats it up. So yeah, I didn't have to do anything but be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, sit next to him. <laughs> Did you sit next to him during the discussions? Oh, yeah. Okay. He took him out of my house. Did you, when you were taking the discussions, did you learn something that you're like, I didn't know that or anything like that? Was there any, but they're, they're pretty, they don't go real deep. The no, they don't. And um, anybody that doesn't go through primary, I actually kind of feel bad for them. Like you miss a lot when you don't have primary. So yeah. So all of those fundamentals I got from primary was kind of there. So yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like anything new was there for me or anything. Lots of good reminders. Yeah, yeah, that's true because I was 12 when we joined the church. So, you know, my introduction was um, memorize one of the articles of faith, which I was like, okay, and, <laughs> uh, you know, what's a Nephite? What's what's a Lamanite? I don't even mm -hmm. know what the terms mean. And right, crochet a person. Then I, you know, turned 12 and went into young women. So it was like, okay, that was weird. So yeah, yeah you're right. Primary <laughs> is really where you get the verbiage the language and mm -hmm. all the terms down and, and the, the basic stories and all. Right. Of that. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember a time when Bill was, I mean, it was years after he was baptized and he ran into something. He's like, Oh, by the way, do you know X, Y, Z? And I'm like, back yeah. in primary, I did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was such a weird thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. So you and Bill, um, you got married fairly young. 19. 19. Six so, days after his 19th birthday. So you graduated from high school mm -hmm. and you're like, now what do we do? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we couldn't keep our hands off of each other. Yeah. So well, our bishop was like, you know what? You guys should get married. You're such a great example. You guys can go on missions when you're older together. But right now, you guys are just going to be such a great example to the youth. And I think it's a good idea for you guys to get married right now. Oh my gosh. Isn't that funny? That, yeah. I mean, not funny, funny in a, oh my gosh way. Right. You say it's like, here you are 19 years old. Uh, your frontal cortex still isn't formed. You haven't even started a life. Right. You know? You're still, you know, an adolescent really. Um, and the Bishop's like, 
yeah, you should probably get married because, you know, you really like to make out and that's the only reason you need, right? Yep. Yep. You know, we're not going to be temple worthy if we wait too much longer, you know, right? So <laughs> crazy. And I mean, I love, I have a lot of friends um, who married young and the marriages worked. And so it's not, I don't think there's a playbook that can be said for, oh, if you get married under the age of 25, you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to be successful. And, but, and I love though, that you and Bill are so honest about how you kind of grew up together. And um, how do you think, because, because um, this is a new, a new thing for Bill, um, did your relationship as a young married couple now, did, was it modeling your parents' relationship? And so you were like, oh, yeah, this is normal for um, two Mormon kids. This is how it works to be now a family. Did that was that as a model or were there things where you're like, what's happening? No, I think it was a, a good model. And then, of course, it, it is natural for. LDS people and probably lots of religions actually to get married young. So, yeah. you know, you see this all around you. So it wasn't weird. Right. And, and also I didn't have big um, like worldly ambitions or anything. Like I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. You know, I just happened to fall into a job I like pretty good. Yeah. And um, you know, and so like my mother, I wanted to be a wife and a mother. So it was just all just, going along swimmingly to my plan, the Mormon plan, the thing that you're supposed to do. And I did that thing. Well, I think. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's so much like me. It's like, I remember in high school, I had one friend whose father was a dentist. And so she went into dental hygiene. So she knew exactly. She went off to BYU. She knew exactly what she wanted to do. I had another friend that went right off to BYU and did interior design. I had another friend that went into dental hygiene and I was like, I want to be a mom. I want to, I want, I just want to have a family. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have any kind of like dreams that I thought were being pushed down or, or anything like that. And so that's good for me, you know, mm -hmm. like you say, <laughs> until I had five kids and all of a sudden I'm 32 and I'm like, oh, I know what I want to do now. <laughs> and it's too late because I have <laughs> six people I have to take care of. So that's the bad part. But and, and like you say, because Bill was a convert and he was 19, they're not going to say, oh, go on a mission. You know, they're they're going to say, hey, you found this great gal. She's got a great family. You guys are great together. I could see why your bishop would give you that advice, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So you got married. Did you get married then in the church? And was the bishop, did the bishop do the the ceremony? Oh, no, we were in D.C. We got married in the D.C. temple. Oh my gosh. Okay. Mm -hmm. So even though we hadn't gone on a mission, you were temple worthy. So you got married in the temple. Yeah, I, I mean, we did had to, um, we did have to repent because we weren't a hundred percent whole, um, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but yes, our, our Bishop did get us to the temple. <laughs> so great. Washington DC temple. Yeah. So, you know, I was this princess getting married in a castle. I love Disney. So, you know, that was my dream. I'd be a Disney princess. I had a castle. I got to get married in a castle. That's amazing. And <laughs> what, how was that for you? What was the temple ceremony like for you? Were you, were you like, like you said, was this part of like a fantasy land or mm -hmm. were you like, what the heck? 
No, it was fantasy. And it wasn't until like after or later that, you know, Bill's over there freaking out. Am I in a baker's convention? What's happening to me? What? And I'm all dreamy, like, I'm doing it. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm doing it. And it's amazing. Yes. yes. I swallowed that pill hard. Mm-hmm. That was exactly where I was. I mean, yeah. it, the weirdo costumes were like, this is a costume for the happy, you know, like say Disney. Right? Event. Yeah, and, this yeah. is my ticket to eternal marriage. It's beautiful. It's great. I'm doing it, yeah. right? If they yeah. would have had, you know, lamb's blood on the altar, I pr- I would have said, did Sounds it. Great. Yep, yeah. exactly. I'm like, we're doing it. Here we are. Yay. Yes, Renee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so true. So, okay. So you guys, so you get married. Now, because Bill was not raised in the church, did you talk about whether you wanted children or how many children you wanted? Was that even a conversation? Do you know what? We did not talk about it on the front end. Um, he did kind of mention he would, he wanted to wait a little bit, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, we can wait. We didn't wait very long. I held a baby at church and I said, oh, it's time. Mm. So we got married in September of 97 and our first was born in February of 99. So yeah. that's all the waiting we did. Cause yeah. I did, I was like, Oh, it's time. And so he didn't know better. And he went along with it and was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you have four children. Is that correct? Yep. Now the third and fourth, I did have to beg for the first two times he was on board. Okay. And he said, okay, blindly. And it was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to beg for three and four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a little bit different when you actually have to start putting a roof over your head and and diapers and all that. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know? I remember it, it's so funny because, as you say, as the mother part of it, um, we never really had a conversation. But I remember uh, my husband saying when I had my fifth, he was, you know, he went to like after the baby was born and he left the hospital and he's sitting like in a in a Denny's. And he's like, what the crap? How, <laughs> how? And he actually he actually went out and bought a red uh, I wish he was here so I could ask him, a, a, like a Plymouth station wagon. It was in 1980, let's see, 81. It was like a 70s. It was a 1970-something Plymouth station wagon. And it was uglier than all. But he <laughs> thought, we have five kids. We have to have a station wagon. Mm-hmm. And it was so ugly and so bad. And he picks me up, comes back to the hospital. And I'm like, What? is that <laughs> like you say so from the male perspective as the provider mm-hmm. that is terrifying it is mm-hmm. you know so yeah. i can see where he was like what wait uh, you know so so what what were you doing with these four children were you a complete stay-at-home mom not a hundred percent, but for the most part. So I was a nurse's aide. I'm like, well, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So what's a grown up job I can do. Oh. So I became a nurse's aide. And um, for our first one, I was actually the insurance holder because Bill was going to college. And so I only took the six weeks off. I worked for the county and um, yeah, that's what I did. But by the time I was um, pregnant with our second one, I only work two days a week now. So every other weekend plus one other day during the week. Okay. And then for the third one, I went down to just every other weekend only. And then with Zachary, um, it was right before he started kindergarten. I started working in a school with the special needs kids. Oh, excellent. 
See, you are a special breed of people because, you know, um, I have so much respect and love and honor for the people that choose to work with the special needs children. Um, as a special needs mother, you know, um, those women that worked with my son all through school and loved him. Now I'm going to cry. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a special person. I, even though I was the mother of a child with severe disabilities, I would never have gone and worked in a school with other people's children. I, I was overwhelmed with my own. And so I have mm -hmm. such a place in my heart. They made such a difference. They, these women were the ones that would say to me, you know, I think he needs some ankle huggers on his wheelchair. I'm like, what's an ankle hugger? <laughs> you know? Or, um, you know, he seemed a little upset today. They would let me know, you know, behind the scenes what was going on. And um, he loved school. And I know that he loved school because of the women that he worked with. And it was all women, by the way. It was all women <laughs> that worked in the special needs program. So I have so much love and respect for you for that. And um, and my 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 daughter has a special needs son. He has autism, and it's the same thing. Um, just you know, they they uh, it's the women that take him aside and say, you know, I think uh, I think he was having a hard day today. And they they you know, it's just it's just that woman bond. So mm -hmm. I love you for that. I absolutely love you for that. So. Um, so you're tripping along. And like you say, Bill is a, a just a knowledge like vacuum. Just please let me be learning. Yes. And, um, and I, I feel like you, you know, that you and Bill and my husband and I, we're just the opposite. Like I'm a lot like Bill where it's just like, I can't even watch regular TV. I have to be watching something on YouTube that's historical or something that I'm learning something, you know, about. Um, I've tried two or three different book clubs and I can never be in them because they want to read a fiction book. And I'm like, why would I spend time reading fiction? <laughs> reading a, something biographical or historical or something like that. And my husband's just more than happy to just work hard and enjoy life. And, and uh, he's way more of an extrovert like you. So that's interesting. So he is, first of all, absorbing the, the Mormon church. And mm -hmm. he he is getting the historical things down and he is working hard and it, and you are living, you guys are living in Ohio. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he is made a Bishop at what? 29. Yes. And something and, like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't even, I can't even imagine a 29 year old being asked to um, consult with another adult. I mean, he's a baby. You, yes. What was your demographics in the ward? I mean, what, did he have like 65 year old men coming in and wanting advice and counsel? Yeah, there was that. Yes. Um, and also um, where we lived in Ohio, um, the hospital and the school there was a teaching hospital. So mm -hmm. we would have a lot of young couples there, you know, they'd do their two years residency and move. So we did have a lot of young people coming and going too, as they're going through, you know, their, their medical schooling as well. So we did have um, some young people, but yeah, the 65 year olds, of course. Yeah. That's amazing. And did it, did you see a change in him? Was this, was this position, um, this calling, did it weigh heavy on him, the, this responsibility? Um, only when he was going through a particularly hard thing with somebody, not generally. Um, 
I think he kind of loved it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but just when there were times he would come home and he, and I could tell he was kind of down, I would just look at him and I'd be like church or work, because you know, if it's church, you can't talk about it. Right. Yes. And so all I could do is, you know, hold him and console him emotionally that way without having a clue what he's going through. Right. Right. Um, so, so that was hard that I couldn't fully, you know, support him. But also I knew it was in the realm of people's privacy and he never, ever to this day has ever broken any of those confidences, Um, you know, and, and we had a really good ward. Um, They were emailers too. So like he was able to get a lot of things done over email and computer and things like that. So they were awesome with us and um, you know, so it, it, it just worked. And, you know, and since Bill just kind of, like you said, was a vacuum with knowledge in the church, um, he always had high callings, you know, it didn't yeah. take very long for him to be in the elders quorum and, yeah. and doing all the things. So he's always had really high callings. So, you know, here's me, I'm just a beaming wife because I'm like, I don't have to do anything and be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. And, and again, another thing that we have in common, you know, our our husbands are hardworking and they're obedient and they are there. I mean, if there's mm-hmm. something that needs to be moved or any kind of a, a, a service type thing, you know, my husband was there. So he was, again, always held positions of authority, which at the time it, it honestly wasn't until I had my sixth baby that I was like, um, excuse me. <laughs> I'm tired of sitting in these pews by myself. My husband's off visiting some other ward. I am raising these children alone, you know, because it was worker church. It was mm-hmm. work church. I mean, Saturdays and Sundays were uh, church and Monday through Friday was 12 hour work days and then church. Mm-hmm. And so it, the family raising the family was really my responsibility. Did you feel that way? Um, I did. I did a lot. And um, again, we had an amazing ward family um, and my parents were in the same ward. And so I did not make my children sit with me. It was too much. Like you said, right? Like I'm by myself. I have four wiggly kids. How is this supposed to happen? So if one would choose to sit with the best friend or grandparents, like I did, I'm like, okay, you go, you go, you go, you know, and they knew they had to, we could not hear them. If dad could hear them on the stand, there'd be trouble, you know? So they knew they'd have to be quiet and whatever. And they did, they did great. But I think the funniest thing actually was when um, Bill um, was released and he was now going to sit with us. Like the kids freaked out. Like our youngest was kind of scared actually. And they didn't know what to do. They're like, Oh, cause now dad made them sit with us in the pew. So number one, that's, you know, so now dad's sitting with us and now I have to sit here and I don't have a choice anymore. Yes. They freaked out. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> that's so funny. You would say that because that's exactly what happened. I remember when, when we moved to Arizona, so he wasn't in the bishopric anymore and he actually sat with us. And so it was me, him, me and, T- and him and, and our son, TJ, and TJ being in a wheelchair and, and being nonverbal, he would, you know, he loved the music. He loved choir. And so when we would start to sing the opening hymn, he would start singing. And his idea of singing was, ah, you know, and right. which everybody in the ward loved. And I'd been listening to for 37 years. But all of a sudden he's sitting there next to him and he's like, oh, 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 he's putting his hand over his mouth and he's 
taking him out into the foyer. And I'm like, did you hear him when you were on the stand? He said, no. And I said, then chill. We're good, you know, and but the same thing. It was like <laughs> the kids like you're yeah, sitting very quietly and, you know, and I was like, go away. We've been oh, no. Right. It's like you're messing us up. You're the one that has to go. <laughs> yes. yes, we have a system. You're screwing yes. system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, I love so, that. Now, I, I know that Bill said that, um, you know, part of his acceptance of the gospel was also the role that he had as a father and as a patriarch and as the presiding authority in the church. And he took that role very seriously. Very seriously. And I remember him saying that, you know, there was a time when you were like, and we need to talk about this, you know. So talk a little bit about that, where he's learning, he's still learning, and he's a freaking bishop at 29, you know? Right. <laughs> so he's got, like you say, he's got a little bit of authority, he's got a power, people are coming mm -hmm. to him, asking for advice, you know, teach me, you know, <laughs> you know that can't, mm -hmm. you can't help but to take that into your home life, right? Yes, you know, and it's funny, because all that hit Bill really early like we're talking about like first week of marriage right oh. so our apartment was just around the corner from my parents lucky for me and so there was a couple nights I'd let's walk over there in tears crying and so it was very early in our marriage that my my dad sat down with Bill with the Book of Mormon and opened it up to um, unrighteous dominion Oh, <laughs> snap. Yeah. So he got that pretty quickly. Um, and so I think after that, like there still was this whole patriarchy and things, but um, I think after that, it kind of did calm down a little bit. And um, now we were the just, Bill and I live very separate lives together, but really not for any reason, except for, you know, he is the go-getter, the doer, the, the, homemaker the the callings holder and all of this and although you know i did have the big callings too being married to him like i'm not the preparer that he is or anything like that so he is all serious about all the things he does and so i think it just kind of let him absorb into those other things and so it kind of let me off the hook like he would be busy with those things so i busied with the kids and so you know it all just kind of worked out that way and, you know, patriarchy was par for the course, right? So I never thought anything about it. And um, I'm not a person that really wants much anyways. And what I want, I get like, not, not, not in a bratty sense, but I will go out and, and get it. I don't need it to be brought to me necessarily per se, if that makes sense. And so, you know, we just kind of did our own things. That's so true. That's so right on because you're exactly right. I mean, when people talk about two ships, you know, passing in the night, um, we, when you have a large family, when you have, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever kids. Um, and I mean, when I listen to my daughters talk about what they're doing, you know, they live in their car, their football, uh, piano lessons, drum lessons, uh, ABA therapy, uh, tutors in the school. It is a full-time job. And so you're doing your role, they're doing their role. And, and then even in the church, it's like, you're over here, I'm over here. And it's just the way it works. And mm -hmm. sometimes I think that 
it's a great system. Sometimes I think, you know, that kind of like you, like you were saying, it allows you to kind of just do your thing without having to think a lot about it. And, and it makes, it kind of makes the cogs go around and, mm-hmm. and it makes the wheels turn. And so I'm not saying that that's negative. Um, I feel badly for the, for the women, especially that have now they've got this role, but then now somehow through a death or a divorce or something like that, they now have to also be the breadwinners or, you know, changing the oil and, and the, t- you know, making sure the tires aren't bald and all, I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. you need a partner. And then those partners have to have their, their designated roles, just like in any other corporation or business. So right. it's not a negative thing at all. Absolutely not. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us, um, I know that Bill's, when he first started out with like, I'm having a little time, a little bit of issue here. I know that his way of handling that was to become an apologetic. Mm-hmm. And so his first thing was, and I hear this so often, I don't know if I've ever heard, well, maybe a few, but most of us, when we start to learn more, and I call it more, I don't like calling it a faith crisis because I don't think it was a crisis at all. I think it was, but it was definitely (laughs) an awakening. Mm -hmm. And when most of us first hear something like that, I feel as though Um, there's a large percentage of people that do what Bill and I did, where it's like, well, we're just going to find out more about this and then it's going to make sense. And, um, I've heard Alan Mount, I've heard so many other people go, you know, Alicia, I've heard so many, they just go, oh, oh, I, okay. Well, I'm just going to read this book, uh, rough stone rolling, and that's going to make everything clear, or I'm going to read, uh, um, Emma Smith, the Mormon enigma, and I'm going to understand Emma better. And then I'm going to understand Joseph. And then, you know, and the more you start reading, you're going, okay, this isn't helping. You know, I mean, I started out with, well, but Joseph Smith is still a prophet and the book of Mormon is still true. Well, the book of Mormon is still, well, you know, that's kind of right. So, where, because like you said, you're busy doing your thing. He's doing his thing when he starts to, to have an awakening, but he's going to try to be an apologetic with it. Where are you and all that? You know, it's, it's really funny. Um, so at first, you know, he didn't even want to tell me, and I know you guys have all heard this story, but, um, you know, he didn't want to tell me at first because you have all those stories of divorce, right? So he was afraid to tell me. And then because of my insecurities and um, self-loathing, I was not all fist in the church. I was just glad Bill came along to take me to the temple so I can have an eternal family, you know, like he was my savior. I was, I was never going to get these things. I was never good enough. And so like, did I work hard for it? No, it was just dumb luck that it, I got it, you know? And so, oh, lost my train of thought here. Um, so, oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, you were talking, you were talking about how he's starting to go through his apologetic thing. Oh, right. And so, you know, when he finally told me, you know, my response being, well, let's go church hopping, you know, and then like he says, that gave him the ability to kind of slow down. And so he was able to kind of digest this, put it where he needed to and, you know, what shelf did it fit into? And so, 
that slowing down, I think that allowed him to do the apologetic thing because he's still digesting. He's still in the rabbit hole. He's still trying to make it work. Right. And um, so I think that's where the apologetics kind of came in and he was able to like do that really strongly too, is because, oh, he doesn't have to worry about a spouse um, wondering what he's doing or are we leaving the church or are you going to take my temple marriage away or am I not going to be eternal anymore? You know, he no longer had to worry about any of those things. So he could just totally concentrate on any of the subject matters or anything that he wanted to and just kind of take a breath and see what was out there for him, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. What, when you mentioned that you, uh, you mentioned the word self-loathing, mm -hmm. um, have you always felt that? I mean, did you always feel like I'm not, I don't really have a lot of value and I can't believe that this man is going to love me and marry me. And now I get my value through him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It, you know, and it's so funny because it is, yes, it's so much that. And also like, I have a really big personality and, um, you know, and people that know me see that right off the bat and, you know, they see, you know, Bill's this, this microphone guy and everybody thinks he's this big extrovert mm -hmm. and loves to be around people and all, you know, when it's not that way. And, you know, yeah. you know, we're at his work parties and whatever, and he's clinging on to me. Let's go sit down. I'm like, I'm talking to your, your friends over here, you know? So that's always been a fun, fun dynamic for us, I guess. Yeah. That's so, so yes, I have self-loathing, but yes, I'm amazing at the same time. So I don't know how that works, but it's that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're talking about because, um, it, it's the same way. It's like, I have a podcast. I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm, you know, I have a ring light. I, I have a microphone. I have, a, I'm on, I'm, hello, I'm on mm -hmm. YouTube, right? So people would assume, oh, she's an extrovert. She just loves to be out in front. And the reality is it's like, I'm going to shut this down and then I'm going to take a, a breath and then I'm going to have to re, you know, put myself back together again. <laughs> and, and, and in your, you know, my husband would never have a podcast, but you invite him to a party can we please have a party at our house and have 75 people over? Yes. You know, he, we are never on an airplane without him talking to the entire <laughs> crew. And I just put my headphones in and bow my head, like <laughs> leave me alone, you know? And yes. it's so funny what people assume is an extrovert or an introvert. They, it's like, no, no, let me <laughs> try how this works. And uh, that's so funny that you would say that. And, and I also think that's such a female thing where, my personality wants to be out there, but I still, it, would you call it like that imposter syndrome? Do you ever feel that where mm -hmm. you're putting on something, but that's not really who you are? Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes I do, but I think I've just, I've just gone to calling my chameleon for so long now. Like, that's just what I go with. I'm like, I'm a chameleon. I do it all. I'm all over the place. What do you need? Cause that's what I'm going to be. Uh, like I oh, will conform. Yeah. Yeah. To the energy I'm getting off of who I'm with. Oh, that's who I am. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm. I wish I had a psychology background because I think I find that fascinating, but it brings you joy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. And also when you talk about like, maybe when you talk about self-loathing, it's not, it's not like you hate yourself. It's just that you how would you describe it? How, how would you put it into words? 
good question. Never that I can't be good enough in any particular thing. So does that mean I'm not good at anything? So therefore I'm just not good. Like I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. So like, what can I do? I don't know. Nothing. So I don't know. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to be. You're like making happy. me think Renee. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're happy and, mm -hmm. you're, and, and I feel as though you're very self-confident and it's not that you hate yourself. I think you love who you are. Um, but where do you think that came from? Do you think that that when you mentioned like going to the temple, look, I'm doing it. I'm here. I, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to do it because I'm not worthy, but look, I'm here. Um, so do you think that came from maybe that perfectionist gospel, that prosperity gospel where you're never good enough or, or probably, you know, and then of course, Brad Wilcox showed us that everybody was thinking that way. Right. <laughs> and you're not weird. We're all not feeling enough in this perfectionist religion. Right. So I think a lot of it did have to do with that. Yeah. You know, like I don't like reading and the scriptures are so boring. I've never read any of those books cover to cover. You know, how many times I need by being more like how many times have we read that? Right. Yeah. I still have never made all pages through of any yeah. of the books. Yeah. So because of that, you know, I'm just, I have to be a terrible person, right? Like I yeah. don't want to check all the boxes. I yeah. don't like checking all those boxes. They're not my boxes. I don't like them. They're boring. They're stupid. I don't like them. <laughs> I'm way more fun for that. And so to be so serious and I just, I can't. And so, yeah, that is, that is so interesting because you're right. It's that it's not that I don't, I hate myself, but then the perfectionist from the church. And then of course, children are mean. And so going through school, if you don't, if you don't have the right money, the right clothes, the right, you know, this or that, then you're nobody and people make fun of you. Um, and I'm 5'10". So as a woman, that's really tall. And so the short little boys around you make fun of you for being tall and things, right? Um, so I always had a lot of friends. That was never a problem. I was very popular with my friends. But of course, if you're not in the ones you think you're supposed to be with, then you're no good, right? And so I always looked at myself through what I thought other people's lens were, who were the negative naysayers, not the people that loved me and gave me all this positive affirmation. But of course, it's the naysayers that we listen to. And so you know, I'm just kind of going off of them. I'm like, oh, I can't be worth anything because this is what I'm being told by the outside world. And so I just kind of internalized that. Yeah. But obviously not a hundred percent because I'm like, I'm freaking amazing. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. But you're so right. It's the, I think Brene Brown brings this out so often how we retain the negative. Some, you know, you could have 14 people go through and say, Amanda, I love, you know, and oh, you're so fun. And oh my gosh, your hair is so great. Your hair is so great. And, Thanks. you know, and, and, and you, you, you're, you're like, you, like you hear it, but in the back of your mind, you're going, oh, well, if you only knew, and I mean, you know, wow, you, you didn't see it. We immediately apologize and put it into the, and then you have one person that says, why did you do that today? And that's it. That's the one thing. I mean, I can remember. It's so funny. I, I have such a bad memory. And I remember going to school in the fall, uh, first day of school. And, you know, I bought all, you know, I bought some new school clothes. But of course, these school clothes, everything that's out there right now is fall, right? Well, it's not usually fall, actually, when you start school. Right. I went to school in a wool skirt, a wool sweater, 
and matching leggings because it was, you know, 1960 something. So the top and the leggings matched and then the plaid skirt, you can vision it, envision it. And uh, somebody came up to me and goes, ah, don't you know that you don't wear wool until after Labor Day? And I was like, I didn't know that, but I am now crushed and feel like an idiot. And that is my big memory from junior high, you know? Isn't that crazy? And I bet you were so gorgeous. <laughs> and, and it was just like, oh, why is that my memory? Why? Right. But that's how we as women, and that's really a little bit of how the patriarchal system is set up to where, um, yeah, if you're not sitting at the cheerleader table, then you're not, you have no value. You have no worth. And like you said, band geek, I have a, you know, my kids were half and half, half athletes, half in the band, you know, they just each decided who they were. And, uh, or I had a, um, a girlfriend whose daughter was in the drama club. She wasn't part of the cool kids, but she was in the drama club with those kids. And there's just this, it's, I hate that. I just hate that about the way the dynamics are set up. Yeah. But, so anyway, okay. So going back, so Bill, I remember when he, put out just like last year or so when he put out the uh, audio tape of his excommunication and he is rattling off names, dates, times, locations, you know, and I was just, and I remember contacting him and I said, I want a copy of that. He goes, I don't have a copy of that. Just came out of my brain. And I was like, Oh, see now that. <laughs> I can't even remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Right. And, you know, it's so <laughs> frustrating because when you talk about like reading these books, I'm reading a lot of books, especially now that they have audio books. I am listening to books all the time. And then when I get into a discussion with my husband, he'll be like, where, you know, where did you hear that? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> I heard, you know, which makes you sound like an idiot. Right. So frustrating, you know, but um, so I can see where he, you know, he's reading all these books. He's got all this knowledge and you're just like, I'm just good. You yeah, know? totally. I'm like, mm, that's you. You go do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes you feel as though I, maybe I'm not smart. Maybe yeah. I, you know, and so you're not feeling good about yourself, mm -hmm. but what, what, was there anything that he was bringing home that you were like, Okay, now that I'm not I'm not listening to that. Was there anything where you were like, now I'm getting scared? No, because I really he didn't talk to me about it and I didn't ask about it. Okay. You know, and so it's kind of I don't even know how we got to where I'm like out and not believing anymore, you know, because all the stuff he was going through, like to me, that was all still just history things. And I just didn't care. Like I always had really bad history teachers in school where you take the notes and you take a test who learns anything. Not me like that. You know, the other history class, they're playing a, a mock stock market and I'm taking notes. So history has always been out for me. So he's eating it up and he's loving it. He'll say something every now and then, but it's like, I don't care. You know, the whole, um, we did water witching with the kids with a metal hanger, you know, or like the, or the electrical outlets, excuse me. And, you know, so those things were fun and that's how he kind of worked it in with the kids and stuff. But I'm still like data. I don't care. And so it's, it's, I'm very emotional and, um, 
you know, as it's all coming apart for him. And then the November policy. Um, yeah, that was it for me. Um, we, we, one of our daughters was actually, I don't even know how she was brave enough, but before we even moved out here. So we've been out here for eight years and that would have put her at, I don't know, 11, 10, 12, you know, so very, very young. Yeah. And she came to us and was like, I might be bisexual, ah. you know? And so, you know, like, we're like, okay, cool. You know, and she's so young anyways, you know, like she's just going to start her journey of figuring herself out. Right. So, right. you know, we don't talk about it, but she also knows like, she's okay. Right. Like right. we accept you. You're right. okay. Everything's right. cool. Right. And then jump forward to 2015 in the November policy. We're like, wait, what? Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Out. Okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs> so that, helped, that really helped you to also go along and make that decision where it's like, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. So would yeah. you say that was your jumping off point? Because like, I would say-, say so. Yeah. You know, and so I used to love like um, near death experience and things like that. And so like, you know, there had to be a God because these things are happening. Right. And so I just, I think I always felt like, yeah, God's out there just because we're told there's a God out there. Right. And yeah. Jesus, and you know, we're just told these things. And so I just, you know, one of my talents is to believe on other people's words. Right. Yeah. That's the baloney I would say, because there was nothing yeah. out there for me. So I'm like, no, I, I have the faith to believe on others words, all the stupid things we say. Right. And, no. um, but that's where I was. And so that's how I had to be straight with myself is that's, that's what I had to say. Right. Cause everything else seemed, it was all so empty, but no, I had that faith to believe on other people's words. Uh, and you are so right. That, that is very specifically described as a talent and a gift. And so you've got the other people that have been blessed with the ability to acquire knowledge and, and teach. Then you've got the people that are the learners and the followers. You have to have the whole, you have to have all of the spectrum to mm-hmm. make a complete thing. And so you're going along and like, hey, they got, you know, I, it's so funny you would say that because I just read on a little Facebook post, somebody said uh, they, they put a quote up by Bruce R. McConkie and um, I forget what it was, but it was really kooky. And I, and I just turned to my husband and I said, why did we, why did we buy all that? We, <laughs> he had such a presence and he came across as such an authority, such a person of wisdom that, I mean, he could have said anything. We would have gone, okay, that sounds great. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a lot like you. It's like, look, I'm the church to me was a community. It really was. I wasn't even into, uh, I, I'm the same way. I read the book of Mormon probably from cover to cover probably twice in my whole life. And once when I was 18 and probably when I was teaching seminary was another time, you know, but other than that, and I, and I read the Bible once in my life. And I remember going, I probably shouldn't read that because Mm -hmm. that really messed me up. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I start reading about the, you know, the incest and all of that. And I'm like, yeah, I I don't want to hear this anymore. So um, I didn't know any, I didn't know any p- people would pop up this about Paul or something about it. And Corinthians, it says this, and I'd be like, Oh, I don't even know where Corinthians is, but I'm, but I, what are we doing for relief society? You know? Right. So it, it really was the community, the, um, 
And and where your children were they like were they aware that dad was had a podcast and and he was- I think only vaguely. Okay. Um, you know, the whole rule about the computer has to be in the living room, right? A shared space, you know, so I knew dad was on the computer all the time. They knew that mom wanted to throw the computer out of the window. Because dad was on the computer all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I mean, yes, look, I mean, it, it, it ended up being a great work that he's, he's still doing. Yeah. And so many people need all your guys's voices. And so, you know, it, it's amazing. And I love it. But yes, right. when you have young children yeah, and you're a bishop and you have a podcast yeah. and, and, and yeah. you're just like, I yeah. need you here. Yeah. Yes. I need you. Yes. A kid needs a bath. Someone's throwing up somebody, you know, I don't know, but yeah. I need you right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that you shared that because I I, re- I remember hearing, you know, Margie DeLynn say the same thing. It was like, you know, I want him to do be his best. I want him to do what what is making him happy and, and successful. But now he's brought it into my stinking home and I've got strangers coming into my house. And it's like, this is my space. You're invading my space. And I I loved hearing her say that because that's what I'm talking about, where, you know, there's more to this story uh, where the women are holding down the fort, like you say, cleaning up the bathing kids and helping with homework and taking somebody to football. And it's like, it takes two people. This didn't just all magically happen. I mean, I remember, you know, my husband saying, um, you know, something like, well, uh, uh, people, oh, this one here, you'll, you'll relate to this. I, I would get my son dressed and um, because he loved he loved the interaction of everything that went on in football, right? So my boys are playing football. My girls are on the cheerleading squad. So so my husband is already over there. He's already at the football field. He's been there since three o'clock when you know practice started. So I'm getting my son dressed. I'm getting him in his wheelchair. I take him over to the, the, the high school. I unload him from the van. I wheel him onto the track. And, and my husband's like, thank you. You know, and then he takes him, stands next to him, leans on the wheelchair. And, you know, while the while they're while he's watching all the football practice and all this kind of stuff and people come up to him and they'd be like, you are such a good dad. I mean, you're <sighs> such a good father. And Did I'm you like, want to punch him in the face? <laughs> yes. And I'm just like, oh, please. And I said this once before. I said, honestly, I think one of my biggest cracks was when I was and this was even before I started down the rabbit hole was I was sitting in sacrament meeting. My husband's on the stand. I'm sitting there with my grandson who's now living with us. So I'm now raising the second generation and my son in the wheelchair. And the stake president is visiting sacrament. And he stands up and he says, you know, I look out there and I see TJ. And I think to myself, doggone it. If TJ can be here every Sunday, I don't have any excuse. And I'm like, okay, how do you think TJ got here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you think he just got in the car and drove himself over? Wow, how diligent to be able to come to church every week in a wheelchair. I'm like, wow, I am totally a cipher. I am invisible. I am so not even present in any of this, you know? Yeah. So, like you said, I mean, thank heavens we have a Bill Real and Mormon discussions. But in the meantime, what's going on in the background? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's so important. 
Well, I love that, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to really make a point is that there is, you know, even listening to um, Russell Nelson talk about his career and his not going through his training to be a cardiologist and, and how he was so frustrated because one of his children or one of his clients died. They didn't, you know, the heart surgery wasn't successful and he was laying on the floor and his wife was like, shut up. You know, and I'm like, yeah, because she had nine freaking children. All right. Uh, right. Yeah. We, we don't need to hear all this, but that's not, that's not exactly how it was given at conference, but that's not, you know, so, so in conclusion, okay. So when Bill was excommunicated, they didn't excommunicate you, right? No. no. What, what happened? Where did oh, you? Oh, I immediately, well, I was waiting. <laughs> So okay. when he got X, I, I immediately went to the computer and took my name off the records. Okay. I might have even done it that night. Okay. It might have been the next night, but it was very quickly. I remember like, okay, I'm waiting for you. You're X. Okay, good. Whew, here we go. Okay. So, but did they, did they even call you in? Did they even? Uh, I, I did speak. I, I kind of wish I didn't. I think what Bill said would have been beautiful by itself, but yeah. they did give me time to speak and I muddled something stupid out, but. Yeah. So you were sitting in the foyer or were you? The no, I was in the room. You were in the room when he is giving them all this thing. What about this? What about this? What about this? And they're like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then did they even ask you about your children? No, they didn't even ask. No, but I did, you know, and then one of the things, cause I was kind of listening to our friends, like, so beforehand, we had a couple of, of close people over and John Delenn, whatever, and talking and whatever. And you know, and so somebody had mentioned something about my eternal family now without my husband. So I did, you know, because what the thing that we absolutely loved at the beginning of the hearing, the state president said, Bill, your integrity is intact. You yeah. can't speak ill of the brethren, you know, something to that effect. Yeah. You know, and so that's all we needed to hear. And so I was, I was really trying to play into, you know, so his integrity is intact. So you're taking away my eternal salvation. Yeah. Because you yeah. can't call somebody a liar. Yeah. Like I no longer have eternal salvation because he can't call somebody a liar. Yeah. Yeah. Our children, who knows? They're, everyone's off on their own now in the terrestrial, celestial kingdom somewhere, outer darkness, actually. And, right. you know, and uh, it doesn't even matter to you because you just, you just acknowledge that this man is a man of, of integrity, honesty, ethical, uh, but he just said a few things that just made us a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So <laughs> take that all away from you. Amazing. So when you went home, how did, what did you say to the kids? So at this time, you know, luckily we all, you know, we were all doing it together okay. <laughs> unbeknownst to each other. You know, we didn't talk uh -huh. about it or anything, but uh -huh. you know, and at the, the time where the age of the kids, you know, there was probably a lot of boredom. Okay. At church. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, there's two categories of, of people, especially for my daughters that you do not speak ill of it's LGBTQ plus people and, um, special needs. Yes. People. If you say anything ill about those two sects of people, yeah. my kids are done. They're yeah. out. Yeah. They have no use for you and they're done. Yeah. And so I think everybody with that November policy in my household were like, 
peace out. Okay. Yeah. You know, so luckily my kids, they, they were, they were already out as well, you know? And so like, they also try to take their name though. Three of them try to take their names off the records. But by this time, like now you had to have a notarized, yeah. it, you know, like they made it a little bit more hard. Right. And so I think their names might still be on our records. Um, okay. And at the time, our youngest, um, he's as smart as his dad, you know, and he doesn't, you know, believe in any of this nonsense either, yeah. but it's what he knew. Yeah. And so he's like, well, what if when I have a family, what what do I do? You know, yeah. so he didn't want to take his name off the records, but also he was 11 years old. Yeah. You know, so it's like, whatever. And it didn't matter to me if his name's on the records or not. I mean, what is it doesn't do anything because it's to me, the church is make believe. So if his name is affiliated with something that I think is make believe, it's no skin off my back. It doesn't matter. You know, and it didn't take him long to be like, yeah, no, I'll figure my family out by myself. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, he's just too smart. And, you know, but. I think it's one of those things that if you have any kind of an analytical or critical thinking mind and you do start going, oh, but what? Oh, but what about this? Or, oh, but what about that? That's when you have you you either have to say none of this makes sense. Um, none of this is logical, but I'm just going to have a faith to believe it. You either have to go down that route or you have to say, I can't believe this. It doesn't make sense. And, um, and I understand that faith is not necessarily logic, but I love the statement that, you know, faith is things to believe in that can't be proven. It's not, I, here's all the facts, here's all the data, I'm still going to believe it. You know, that's the difference between sometimes the definitions of faith. And I was the same way. It's like, well, we have six children. One of them evidently is already going to the celestial kingdom because he's perfect. Um, the other uh, five let's see, three of them have not left the church, but the minute they left home and had freedom of, to do with their own, they stopped going to church. One of them came back and tried it again, but um, he, his wife, again, that's why I love women, his wife was um, a convert strictly because of him. It's mm -hmm. like She's very, very, uh, very God-oriented and very believing in, in, a, in a Christianity. Uh, so to her, it was no big deal. And he was like, let's do this. Let's, now that we have a family, let's do this. And so she's like, sure, what the heck? But she was not familiar with the Mormon way of life. So all of a sudden she, she's getting what I had because my, my son is just exactly like his father, hardworking. So he's 12 hours at work and then another six at church all day Saturday with the Boy Scouts, gone all day Sunday. And she's mm. doing this thing with the kids. And because she wasn't raised in the church, she was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they, you know, and she had a hard time with polygamy too. And it was so funny because I, I feel so bad, but I gave her all the answers when she said, I have a really hard time with polygamy. I'm like, oh, it was just for the widows, you know, to take, and it was just a way to increase the mm -hmm. you know, I gave her that same stuff. And I had to apologize. I had to go back and apologize, say, I am so sorry. I did not even know the history of our own church. I didn't even know my own religion, you know? Yeah. But, um, and now you've got grandchildren, which are the best. The best. Yeah. <laughs> it is our reward. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have three. Okay. 
and and in your children are not active in the church so those children are not blessed and you're not doing all that primary rigmarole and all that right stuff. yep so that's beautiful and will they and um um how are you like handling life with if you're not you know taking the children to primary and sitting through 3 hours of church how on earth can these little grandchildren be surviving I know, right? Well, they're surviving amazingly because, <laughs> you know, like they have fixed so many generational garbage that they were handed. You know, I love watching my kids' parent. They are such cool parents and um, they're just amazing. And then, you know, all of the the growth and learning that Bill and I are doing, you know, they're they're definitely going to be getting like Buddhist type teachings, wow. you know, and be inclusive and be, you know, about right now and be good to yourself, be good to others. Wow. And, you know, all the things we're just going to teach them yeah. all the things that we didn't have. And they're just amazing little people. And so they're learning morality and values and things like that. They are. How does that happen? I know what. And, you know, and another recent thing of Bill's is he um, wants to. So he's using um, chat GPT and all the AI things and it's um, stories, seeds, seeds for children or something. Then he's reading stories and he has them make the story and he has a, you know, clips, you know, running and a special thing to find. But he like put in um, like the glowy magic people or whatever it was. And what is that? You know, the whole town like believed in this, this glowy people I don't remember what they're called yeah. but then this one kid got curious about them so he went and asked an old person about it and then of course this old person was a great person because he's like you know let his mind be open and so yeah. he went on a journey and he went to find it was just this big crystal that was shining and you know so basically myth busting right yeah. or you know so he just has this principle he wants to teach plugs it into chat gpt does a slideshow and then he reads this story to teach morality, you know, which think you can do that without church. That's amazing. <laughs> it is so cute. Yeah. It's, it's stories like, so it's like no, stories with Nana and Papa, oh, you know, yeah. eventually I'll read some too, but you know, so it's just this, this fun way to, yes, there is all kinds of ways you can teach children morality without God and church. Yeah. Yeah. Without the, without the punishment that goes along with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There doesn't have to be penance, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So tell us um, as we're kind of closing up, what are you doing right now? Are you still working in the school? Are you still working in a nursing type of a profession or with? Yeah, no. So when we moved out here eight years ago, um, totally whole brand new line of work. I work at a bank. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, and and you are probably one of the savior people that now I go into a bank and they go, yeah, we can't talk to you because of COVID. We only have one employee in the whole entire bank, you know? <laughs> so I'm kind of like, really? Cause I just want to close my account. I honestly, <laughs> I tried to close an account like three times. And every time I go in, they go, you have to make an appointment and come back. And I'm like, really? Okay. I keep putting money into this account that I want to close. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't get into the bank to close it. So, so you're not working on the health uh, genre at all anymore. Nope. Do you nope. love it? I do love it. Um, I, I, I used to always try to say I hate people, but anybody that knows me knows that I can't really honestly say that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a service industry, so I'm still taking care of people. Um, I take care of people. That's what I do. 
You know what? You are absolutely right. And I, I love that because I have a friend that's in the banking business as well. And she's getting so frustrated with this. There's more and more online stuff or, you know, you got the little kiosk set up in the bank where you don't, you know, and she's like, this is not good. This is not good. We need people. We need one-on-one -on -one. people have a relationship with their banker, just like they do with the, you know, the grocery store and the Starbucks person. And they mm -hmm. need that, especially, you know, so I love that. I love that you said that you're, you're, um, you're a lot like my husband. You are, uh, where can I serve? How can I serve? You know, and that's where that love of people and interaction comes in because that's where you find out, Oh, that person just said such and such, I could serve them in some way, you know, where mm -hmm. people like me, probably, I don't know, you'll have to tell me about Bill. I just hear the story and go, that really sucks. Okay, bye. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hell, it's so weird because like I am that way. Like I love to serve you, but only if it's what I want to do. Oh, <laughs> very picky about it. Yeah. I'm not a, oh, I have to go serve everybody all the time, you know, to be fulfilled. No, I'm like, oh, sometimes I could be like, that sucks. I'm really sorry. And yeah. turn around and go away. <laughs> you know what though? I, I attribute that to your female nurturing part because I do think that women are able to see through sometimes where it's like, I'm not going to bring you dinner because you're married. You have a spouse. Uh, you just had a baby. You didn't have open heart surgery. You knew you were having a baby. You knew even when and what time, because it's a scheduled, you know, yes. section. <laughs> so you could have prepared and they have got a Burger King and DoorDash. So I'm, you know, and where this, you know, where I, I do think there's a little bit of the men were like, we need to serve these people, bring them in dinner. I'm like, why? You know, yeah. I, you know, what she really would like is for you to go pick up the other three kids and probably bring them over to your house for the day. They right. can themselves, you know, not that exactly. meals aren't great once in a while. I'm not saying right. don't yell at me, people. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> I so. know. No, you're so right. It's your friend in bed can't move and she has two young children and her house is a mess and the dishes need done and the and the grass needs mowed and yes you're thinking what the f is wrong with your husband yeah but me and my oldest son are in the car right now yeah he goes most the lawn i take care of the kids i clean the house and do the thing so yeah it's not the casserole people. yeah yeah you know like what what does Brene do get down in the hole yeah yeah exactly <laughs> don't get in the hole which yeah. no i don't do all the time sometimes exactly. i just want to throw a casserole at you yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, you guys are going to learn things about me you're like oh amanda <laughs> yeah no i this just confirms my gut feeling i knew i loved you so well, you have been an absolute party i love that i had this opportunity to interview oh, you thank you so and much i really love i really wanted people to get to know the amanda part of the bill and amanda combo <laughs> And uh, I just felt like there wasn't enough, uh, when I've seen you before, there wasn't enough time for Amanda to tell her story. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think you have a story. And do you think there is a specific moment where you kind of took back your presence and, and said, you know, I like to, you know, I like to say the term, uh, hey, I'm here. I I became visible because I did this. I have done this for myself. Do you have a time that you think that you said, hey, you know what? I am a pretty doggone great person and I'm going to stand up and take back myself mm -hmm. and, and acknowledge what I've contributed to the world. Mm. 
good question. Um, that's that's definitely an ongoing road. Um, but I, so um, my first breakout of God, um, if you will, is um, so as a child, um, I have a brother that that molested me, and so you know we're going through this church thing and leaving, and I I don't remember what it was, but there was a moment I was like why am I making excuses for God? Like I make excuses for my perp, you know, like I'd always say my brother, Oh, we were just young and he got into drugs early and no, that's bullshit. What he did was wrong. And when I was making excuses for a God that I was making for my perp and I'm like, Oh, that's bullshit. And God is supposed to be omnipotent, all knowing, all loving, all, all, all. Why does he need excuses? That's stupid. There's no God. And so from that point on, you know, I, I, I don't a hundred percent hate patriarchy. I'm sorry, women, yeah. you know, sometimes I just like to be told what to do, you yeah. know, yeah. I don't want to think about it. Just tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of, that's, you know, so that's, that's my answer to where I am with God. He yeah. doesn't exist because I have to make excuses for you. Yeah. No, that doesn't work for me. Right. Um, I'm not a complete atheist either, though. Right. Um, I, th- I think there's something mystical or maybe our energy just plays forever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't have to know. And that's OK with me. Absolutely. And so, you know, my like I said, my journey, it's it's still going. And, and right now it's just. I almost feel kind of something shifting in me where I'm really ready to like really own my shit and really start doing that shadow work. I mean, I've been doing it and you know, sometimes you can hear the same thing a million times, but that one millionth and one, it just, it, it pierces. Yeah. And I'm there right now. Yeah. And so I don't know. I love it. I love it. I love that you had this awakening of your own where you understood that I don't have to, you know, there's a difference between understanding and recognizing, like you say, where people are, their places, their their circumstances. I recognize that you were young. I recognize that you were on drugs. I am not, I don't need to say that it was okay. And the and like, same thing with the gospel, with the authorities, with the some of the doctrine that's been, you know, I I don't have to say that's okay. That's not okay. And that is definitely a, a self-awakening. And, a, and I can see where you stood up and said, I don't have to do that anymore. I am a real person that was violated. And I'm going to take back who I am and say, that is not okay. I'm sorry for you, but I'm not going to say this was okay. And I forgive you from the standpoint that everything's fine. And we'll never talk about this again. That's taking accountability for your value. And I love that. That's a perfect example. And I also love the fact that we're never done. We don't have to have a, a done time. Right. It's like, I am still standing here and I am still learning and you're still young. You know, you, you guys, what did you, you got married in 97? Is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> Let's see, I think my oldest graduated from high school in 90. Eight, you know, so yeah, you're still young. You haven't, you haven't quite hit the crone stage, as I say, <laughs> stage of our wisdom, our female power, empowerment, and wisdom. But so, are are your kids um, all grown and gone now? Or do you still have one left at home? 
We still have our baby at home. Um, our number three child actually graduated a year early. Um, she's our one that you hear a lot about with depression and anxiety. And um, she was going to die if she stayed in Utah. So we sent her back home to Ohio. Um, you know, she's now married and up in Washington State. So, yeah, just our baby is here and he's a senior. Yeah. You know, I can so see that simple things like this. This might sound really and maybe I'm just maybe I have my antenna up way too much. But I went to uh, one of my favorite exercise classes this morning and they always have a playlist going on in the background. Right. So there's music. And um, one, I can't remember what the song was, but the F word was part of it. But you can barely hear it. But it was just, you know, this constant thing. And I remember hearing one of the trainers go, whoops. You know, and I thought, oh, yeah, they didn't say whoops in Arizona where I, you know, but they said whoops in Utah. And it's little things like that or or just simple things like um, this. This is really trivial and stupid. But as you're going down, you know, Bangadar Highway or 15 and you look over at the beautiful mountains. Right. But then there's like steeple, 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 steeple. And I'm just kind of like, yowza. Right. (laughs) You know, so I can see, like you say, where uh, there is this culture that I could see where you were such great parents to get you, maybe take your daughter out of the culture for her life, you know, Yes, because it is, it's here and there's really a lot of good things about it. And there are mm-hmm. some things that it can be just, you know, yes. <laughs> all the time. So, well, you're amazing. I love you. I knew I loved you and I love you even more now. So I appreciate well, I love you. you too, Renee. Thank you so much. Well, this has been so fun, and I hope others have learned more about Amanda and more about um, what makes the real household just roll as great as it does. So, right. Oh, and I was going to say really quickly, too, to put the most simple, simple, simple. If you want to know anything about Bill and I, Bill is the great logical guy. And if you want to have fun, you come see me. That's why I got you on here, girlfriend. You know what? I'll have to give you a call because we're going to be heading down to St. George in a, in a few days. So. I'll have to oh, that'd be awesome. you know about that. So, all okay. right. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Happy Labor Day weekend. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Amazing, right? Yeah. It's always good to hear the other side of that story. And um, I, I, I think she's absolutely right. Even if you just see Bill and Amanda together, you could really see where Bill is the intellectual, logical one. And Amanda is just a ball of fun waiting to happen. And I think that's what makes that partnership work so well. So I hope you enjoyed our interview as much as I did. And um, I, I hope that you will take any advantage that you have. If you ever hear of Bill and Amanda speaking at any kind of an event, I hope you'll make an effort to go to it because they're very fun to listen to. And uh, I just love learning more about people and, and, and learning from their experiences. And that's what podcasts are usually doing. We can all learn from other people's experiences and, and maybe it'll help us not to make the same mistakes and maybe it'll help us to maybe, uh, turn a curve a little bit. So that's what it's all about. So you have a fabulous weekend. Uh, we have some great thing plan, uh, things planned for this Labor Day weekend, my husband and I. So we're going to make the most of it. I think we might get a little rained on from what I'm hearing in the weather, but that's all right. We can still have fun. So you guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today on She Became Visible. Join me each week as my guests and I explore the path of womanhood and tell all our stories. 
We'll talk about finding the courage to be ourselves and motivate each other to be everything that we're capable of and meant to be, no matter what happens around us. Please like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to donate at SheBecameVisible.org.